Pastor Xavier Reese with the God who provided himself a sacrifice. Remember, Jesus was beaten by the religious rulers, by the soldiers. His beard was plucked out. He was covered with a sack and beat. He couldn't see the punches coming. He was put with a crown of thorns upon his head. Sometimes we have a little picture of Jesus and we have him on the cross. He's got a little bit of blood coming from his forehead, a little blood in his chest. Isaiah tells us that he would be so disfigured. They didn't say, who is that? I said, what is that? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. King of Kings, The Morning Star, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. These are all terms we use referring to the Lord Jesus, but Isaiah reminds of the intense sacrifice he made for us by describing Jesus as the suffering servant. Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier reveals the incredible prophecy given to us in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 of not only his death on the cross, but also how that sacrifice would be received throughout the ages. Let's listen. The message is entitled, The Suffering Servant of Jehovah. The prophet Isaiah is known for his vast number of prophecies relating to the Messiah and his kingdom throughout the book. Now, the prophet Isaiah provides for us the Messiah, the servant of Jehovah, from another vantage point, the suffering Messiah. Let me read the passage for us, and I'll give you our points. Beginning chapter 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his vision was so marred more than any man, and his form more than sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peoples upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. 
And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The prophet Isaiah provides for us the suffering Messiah here, of suffering of Jehovah, and he does it from three vantage points. First, the proclamation of the servant's coming is given to us in verses 13 of chapter 52, all the way to verse 3 of chapter 53. Then he gives us the revelation of the servant's love in verse 4 through 9. And then he finishes with the exaltation of the servant's sufficiency in verse 10 and 12 of chapter 53. Now, Polycarp called this chapter the golden passional of the Old Testament evangelists. I see it as the climax to all the prophecies regarding the Messiah up to this point in the book of Isaiah. They all have been building up to this golden passage, the Holy of Holies. Here he pays a price for sin as we're going to see that. The loving Savior. Notice he begins with the proclamation of the servant's coming. Beginning verse, seven, verse 13 of chapter 52 down to verse 3. Notice first, in verse 13 of 52, the servant in his coming would be crucified. He begins at the end, at the finished work, the cross. The identity of the servant is said to be my servant, the father who is the speaker here regarding his son as we've seen before. Notice the proclamation is a call to pay attention. Behold, this is an anticipation of the lack of attention by man for the plan of God regarding the gospel and man being self-will. This continues to go on. Behold, pay attention. This is important. There are some who interpret this section to Cyrus and Darius. But the interpretation through the entire centuries has always been Messiah. But no one can read this and think that this can be fulfilled by anyone but Messiah. You must distinguish between the servant of the Lord, the nation, and the servant of the Lord, Messiah, in the writings of Isaiah. We have pointed this out. Let me just give you two passages, chapter 42, 1 through 5, and chapter 49, 5 through 6. We'll give you an example of one from the other. The chapter is applied to Jesus, by the way, in the New Testament, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and Acts and Romans and John, on and on and on. So the New Testament is the interpretation of the old. So if you're going to ignore the New Testament, then you're just rejecting the interpretation of God because it's applied to Jesus over and over and over again. Now notice the inerrant prognosis regarding the servant is that he would deal with Prudently, he says in verse 13. And the phrase prudently, to deal prudently, means to deal wisely. The perspective is from heaven, not from the earth. This is important. So often we look at what's going on in our life from our perspective and we say, Lord, what are you doing? Why would you allow this? How come this is going on? And we need to look at it from God's perspective because he looks down the line to eternity and he's preparing us for eternity. We're so concerned about the here and now that sometimes we're willing to forfeit eternity. So we have to get the heavenly perspective. The implication is that he would thoroughly accomplish the purposes of his coming. It would be accomplished. Notice the interpretation. The servant's wisdom is defined as dying on the cross. 
the servant Jehovah would be exalted and extolled in that very high. The word extolled literally means to be lifted up, describing the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, we have some church hymns that say, let's lift him higher, lift him higher. Well, that's a contradiction. It's to the crucifixion. You don't have to crucify Jesus anymore. Just leave him alone. He's seated at the right hand of God. Proclaim Jesus, but don't lift him higher. It's unscriptural. It's in reference to the crucifixion. He crucified once and for all. That's it. So the context will determine how the word is to be used or is being used. And the same expression, in fact, is used of God in his exalted throne in Isaiah 6.1, when Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, and in chapter 57.15, about God's enthronement up on high. So the context will determine what he's talking about. Now notice, secondly, in verse 14, the servant is, in his coming would be disfigured. The many who would see the servant would be astonished at him. The word astonished means to be appalled at the seeing the servant of Jehovah. The idea is of unbelief and shock at what the person sees, be it positive or negative. The context would determine it. In this case, it's the negative. Perhaps you've, you've gone by the freeway and there's a horrible accident, and as you go by, you see maybe a mangled body, and you just turn away. Oh, and that's the idea here. As men would look upon Jesus, he would be so disfigured. The masses would be astonished at him due to his visage being so marred more than any man. The word visage refers to his face. Remember, Jesus was beaten by the religious rulers, by the soldiers. His beard was plucked out. He was covered with a sack and beat. He couldn't see the punches coming. He was put with a crown of thorns upon his head. The masses would be astonished at him due to the, his form, he says also. Being so marred more than the sons of men. And the word form again refers here to his physical bodily appearance. The resemblance of Jesus was so appalling because he was going to be so abused and battered that he would be deformed beyond recognition as a man, literally human. Sometimes we have a little picture of Jesus and we have him on the cross. He's got a little bit of blood coming from his forehead, a little blood in his chest. Isaiah tells us that he would be so disfigured, the people looked at him and said, they didn't say, who is that? They said, what is that? He was not recognized as a man. Pilate, in attempting perhaps to appease the crowd so he wouldn't have to crucify him to save his own neck, he says, behold the man in John 19.5. Being God, he would become a man, being the servant of Jehovah, the God-man. And yet he would be treated as insignificant. That still happens today. Nothing has changed. Notice thirdly in verse 15. The servant by his coming would provide the message of the gospel. The servant shall sprinkle many nations, it says in verse 15. Some have translated the word sprinkle to the word startle or leap or spring in response of the nations. Others have taken the word sprinkle to mean the purification of sin. Now, the root word has the idea of expiation to atone for guilt, resulting in purification, and it's used like that in Leviticus 4, 6 and 16, 14 in the Day of Atonement. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls affirms the idea of expiation of sin and guilt. The reason for the word many 
is because not all nations or people will believe despite the fact that he died for all. So what he's talking about, the sprinkling here, is that he made provisions we're going to see for all the world. But many will come, not all, because there must be a choice made. It's not an automatic thing. Notice in verse 15 still, the servant's selfless act in view of who he was will be an amazement. The kings that shut their mouth at him for that which had not been told them shall they see. So what took place is proclaimed all over the world. Everybody has an idea about Jesus. Everybody has their own understanding. But when they hear the gospel, they are amazed what they didn't know. The rulers of the world will marvel and be in awe throughout the ages at the hearing of all that Jesus did. Listen, for sinful man. The ruler of the world will assess the self-sacrifice as they stand in position of powers and rulerships. And they will compare themselves to Jesus and see how short they fall from him as they hear the gospel. The kings will consider, in fact, it says there, what they had not heard. That which they were so ignorant of, that which they were so mistaken about. In fact, Jesus throughout the ages will be considered for a supreme act of love. The ultimate fulfillment will be in the kingdom age when all kings will be there and they will bow to him. But the gospel going forth, so when people hear their understanding is corrected, Reprove, rebuked, if you will. So they can either come to an alignment and agreement with God or an affirmation of the rebellion against God. One of the two. Notice, fourthly, when you come to verse 1 through 3 of 53, the servant in his coming would be snubbed by man. In verse 1 and 2, the principal culprit would be the nation of Israel. Verse 1, based on the revelation of God's word. The first question is, who has believed our report? This reveals man's failure to believe God by leaning to his own understanding. Now, how can God become man? How can one man's death cleanse me of my sin? Who's going to believe God's plan? This is the question. The primary culprit here is Israel. He was sent to his own. His own received him not. John 1, 11. The very revelation that the father would allow his son to suffer. Such inhumane suffering. Death was incredulous. Only few believed the report. There was no room in the mind of the Jew for a suffering Messiah. That's why the 12 dirty dozen disciples were always asking who was the greatest in the kingdom. And two of them asked for the right hand and the left hand. They brought their mommy along. Because they, in their mind, knew that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come to set up the kingdom. But they never saw the age of grace, so they were getting their bids in for their position of power. The disciples were no different than those who crucified Jesus. 
They were not servants. They wanted to be served. Suffering Messiah did not fit into the mind of the Jew. Yet throughout the prophecies, there were countless prophecies of his suffering. Over and over and over again. But isn't that the way we are with God? You know, preacher goes out and he teaches and this and that. And, 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 and the word is expounded clearly and, and straightforward. And, and, and we come up with the craziest understanding for our own life with that. Because perhaps we're trying to rationalize our position, where we're at, where we're living, what we're doing. And we say, well, you know, that really doesn't apply to me. And, you know, I mean, uh, I mean some people need that, but I don't. And, and, and really, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the right interpretation. We're no different, are we? Smorgasbord Christians. Only the moose, the pudding, not the vegetables, the meat. <laughs> And the seed of the woman, he would be born of a virgin and crucified from the beginning. Genesis 3.15, temporary wound, the heel. In a type, through Isaac, God will provide himself a sacrifice in Genesis 22. In the book of Isaiah throughout, he has given us the reign of the Messiah on earth as well as in heaven over and over again. Notice the second question, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Revealing the assessing of the problem with the power of man. Well, if I can't figure it out, if I can't see how I could do it, then God can't do it. You see, then God has a problem. If it's a problem for me, it's a problem to God. <laughs> so I bring my problems to the Bible and to the scriptures. And so God has a problem causing me to believe because of my hardened heart and my limitation upon God. Because after all, you know, I can reason, I can think. The arm of the Lord refers here to the power of God revealing himself in prophecy in the gospel about the plan through his son. It is God's chosen plan with the power to save man, as Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith is Habakkuk says. He declares about the foolishness of the Greeks and the demand for signs by the Jew in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. Now he takes the wise and takes the scribe and makes fools of them and confounds their understanding. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing's changed, has it? Perhaps you're here this morning and you think that the gospel is stupid. How can people believe what, the, what, what is said in the Bible? Man wrote the Bible. How can they entrust themselves? Why do they throw their life away? You're in one of them. But God has brought you here to open your heart so he can open on and turn on the light. So you can see yourself in need of God, in need of salvation, and that he died for you. The power of God had been revealed to the people of God, the Jews, the community of God's redeemed. In fact, John quotes this verse as the fulfillment of the Jews' unbelief towards Jesus in John 12, 37, and 38. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To the Jews, to the Israelites. They rejected him. The decisive, the decisive act here of God to intervene on man's behalf was and is incredulous to Israel still today, even as Paul says in Romans eleven twenty five, 25. 
blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I wanted to gather you as a hand gathers of chicks on the wing, but you would not. So now I leave to you desolate. And you should not see me henceforth to say, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. Second coming. Hmm. But notice also in verse 2. It's based on the incarnation of God's son. The servant would grow up before him as a tender plant. The reference here is to the historical verification of his coming from childhood in the womb to adulthood. Jesus is a historical person. It can be verified. The reference to before him implies to the ongoing protection by the father, even as the father would supervise his son in a park, in a department store from afar away, making sure he's okay. The servant would grow as a root out of dry ground. He would come from an insignificant place. Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. O Ephrata, you who are little among the places of Jerusalem. Insignificant place. He would be raised up in a place of contempt. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1.46. <laughs> can, can anything good come out of Van Nuys or Almani or Baum Park or whatever, you know what I mean? You pick your city. <laughs> East L.A. <laughs> the shoot from Jesse has already been given to us in Isaiah 11.1. 1. He calls them the, the root of Jesse in Revelation 5.5. 5. Notice the servant would not come after the worldly, majestic, kingly, persuasiveness of man. The phrase form and comeliness refers to the outward persona. It would not be the true evidence of his inward nature. In other words, there would be no royal splendor or fleshly outward appeal that would be attractive to man. He came as a common man. He was born in a feeding trough. That's where they placed him. That was his crib. <laughs> a stone feeding trough. Not a nice wooden one with hay. <laughs> The servant would bear the marks of his humiliation. Now notice this. For when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him, the end of verse 2 says. Now he goes from his first coming right into his second coming without making the distinction. But Isaiah does this. We're going to get to chapter 61. Jesus quoted it, remember, in the synagogue of Nazareth. The school of Isaiah, he says, This day your scriptures are fulfilling your hearing. And he rolled it up and gave it back. And there was much more left. Because the second coming will fill the rest. Here you have the same thing. Short term, long term. The reference is to the second coming of the Messiah when the Jews will receive their Messiah. Notice the pronoun we. It refers to the Jews who will ask, where did you receive these wounds or these marks on your hands? And he will say, I received them in the house of my friends. Zechariah 13, 6. Whoa, they will know they crucified their Lord. So he runs the first and the second coming together without making the distinction. This could possibly also imply that Jesus will bear those marks throughout the kingdom age to remind us of his love. That when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. And he'll bear the marks on his hands and his side and the crown to remind us of his love. Which individual has not been protected by another and pushed out of the way and maybe something falls and leaves a big scar on their arm or they get hit and they limp the rest of their life and every time that person is so grateful when he sees that person he sees that scar he sees the limb all he senses is love rather than grotesqueness because he knows that it was for him that it was taken and the same with Jesus 
He took for me what, what I deserve. And this is the picture, this is the emphasis throughout the Suffering Messiah passage. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing this portion of his study with a vivid illustration of what a loving sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. What a profound portion of Scripture we find ourselves in at this point in our series of the book of Isaiah, and only halfway through this message titled, The Suffering Servant of Jehovah. Now, if you can't make plans to join us for the conclusion next time, perhaps you'd like to receive a copy of it to continue your own personal study. Well, once again, the title to ask for is, The Suffering Servant of Jehovah, or simply mention today's date. It's available on CD for just $4. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us with our stewardship of this outreach. He came to earth as a man, died on the cross for the sin of man, giving the gift of eternal life to all men, but only to those who receive it. Have you? More Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com